Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast, where we expose higher education as the scam that it is. I am Kevin Prenderville, and I believe because of what we're teaching our children, we're losing an entire generation. Today, as always, we'll be diving headfirst into controversial subjects, undaunted by political correctness. Now, today we're talking history again. I know, I know, everybody slept through their history courses, but listen up. History has no mercy on sleepwalkers, and today we're going to go from 1750 to 1990 and see exactly how we got into this situation when it seems that we've conquered all of our enemies. Our academic problems run deep in this country. They divide us, and if we're not careful, they'll conquer us too. This is the crime of the century. So we're going to explain this systematically because I know really a lot of what our academic institutions have done have failed to teach us the grounds and reasoning for why we even need history. I remember being in high school and uh, even sometimes in college where people would be like, why do we need this? All these people are dead anyways, none of it matters. Well, the ability of a historian to predict the future is, is unmatched because we can see there, there's a lot when it comes to humanity that we are creatures of habit. So by being able to identify patterns in the past and logic and reasoning in the past, we can see how things will play out in the future. Not in the exact same manner with different people and maybe different timelines, but relatively the same. And so the first idea that we have to recognize is what a cultural center of thought is. And when in regards to Europe, which we have to in America because Europe, whether you like it or not, is where we derive a lot of our original political thought from. and that's simply because of who colonized this land. There's no way around that. So in the early 18th century, this is the 1700s, the cultural center of thought, which came a lot from military power and the ability of the population to be read enough to have philosophers and people of thought, uh, I would argue that it was in Paris, in France that a lot of the early philosophers of the 1700s came from France before the country became destabilized after the Seven Years' War in the 1750s. And one of the people that came out of that was a man named uh, Denis Diderot. And Diderot is important here. He was the inventor of the encyclopedia. So what he did was he wanted one entire book that encompassed all of the political and social thoughts of the day. So he went to England and he interviewed uh, people like John Locke and Isaac Newton early on. It took him about 20 years to, to create the book. So at the end of their lives, Isaac Newton, um, I don't believe, he reread John Locke. I don't believe Locke was still alive at that point. Um, and what he did was synthesize all of their arguments, definitions, and how they saw the world into one very long book. And it's obviously a crowning achievement. Um, We've gone more digital with Wikipedia, um, but certainly the encyclopedia lives on in its new, uh, more scientific state instead of philosophical. Although you can still find philosophical uh, trends on on Wikipedia or through the encyclopedia. Um, The other thing he came up with was a new uh, philosophy for the new world, which had, which really had not developed at that time 
not because they didn't know about the New World, obviously. We had been there for 300 years with the Spanish and uh, later the English and the French. But there was no philosophical ideals on how, how or why uh, we should be dealing with the natives, the Indians, who are here. And basically what Diderot came up with was the idea of the noble savage. And what he said was, humans are inherently good, except for Europeans, they're all bad. And why we should actually venerate these Indians is because they are untouched by bad civilization, bad culture. And they are these noble savages who are in touch with nature, who see themselves uh, as equals and who are able to share property and share goods and be more in line with nature, whereas the Europeans just simply use nature for their own uh, devices. Of course, the Chinese were doing the same thing, and though more primitive, the Indians weren't using nature for their own devices. That's that You can't argue that uh, against that from a, hist a historical point, but the idea is uh, Diderot had never been to the New World, so he was just assuming based off of accounts. I'm sure he might have thought even the Fountain of Youth was there, as the early 1500 Spanish explorers did, because he didn't know the difference between uh, Brazil and Florida, uh, maybe only in geography. So the problem with this, as we move, we're going to move all the way up to 1950 here, um, the issue with Diderot's thought is that it stayed, it stayed in the upper class, it stayed with the academics, it stayed and was not refuted um, and actually became a grounds for uh, political thought in France after the French Revolution, in line with Rousseau. And this is an issue because if we move to the 1950s, there was a famous documentary that was not um, produced for the mass public, but it was filmed and basically it was how, how would the Aztecs live? How do the descendants of these people live? It was created by an American um, who basically had this idea of the noble savage. And the locals showed him <clears throat> old paintings, uh, cave paintings of the Aztecs. And it was what they would do to the people that they had captured, which was essentially rip their finger, fingernails out and then have them paint on the walls. And he took this, even though the natives, who might know a little bit more about the Aztecs than he, an academic, would, uh, he said, no, no, the natives are wrong. What they're doing is they're helping these people dip their, their fingers in this red paint and creating art, because the Aztecs could never do anything so, so brutal, so violent. Of course, now we know the Aztecs were brutal and violent invaders who happened to then just get conquered by someone who was superior in the Spanish. Um, the problem is that never got, well, it was never rightly debated in, in the a academic circles. So what happens is you have all these academics who start growing up and uh, their offspring thinking that, well, like what you see today, the natives were inherently good and the Westerners were inherently bad and the Westerners won, so evil won, and we now have to venerate the natives. They're this great class of people who are in touch with nature and we should be more like them because if we transform nature into something useful, that's bad. And 
you wonder why it's become so big in the academic institutions. And that comes from the 30s and the 50s, two periods. Um, and the reason it happened in the 30s was in France, for one, they had a lot of cultural breakdown after the First World War. So many people had died and uh, so much more of the population was interested in becoming pacifist or looking outside of Europe for their political thought. Uh, this was this happened in a lot of countries, but each country handled it differently. And some of their academics fled to the United States during the Great Depression. Uh, and the same thing happened with uh, people of Jewish heritage in Germany. Lots of them fled, obviously. Um, people like Albert Einstein who could foresee issues with the Nazi party that might or may not have happened, <laughs> or who accurately predicted what would happen to them. And so they all fled to the United States. And after World War II, uh, a lot of, histo of historical and political uh, activists also moved to the United States because Europe was left in ruins. And what this caused was a shift in American political thought away from John Locke and a lot of the United Kingdom th uh, in, the, in their, the, their line of thinking, which is closer to ours with the Magna Carta and uh, John Locke's treatise, and became closer to French and German political thought, which is far left, far, much farther to the left than either English uh, and certainly our thought. And once you get up to the 90s where these grandchildren or uh, children of these, these are, are initial academics, when they start to teach and they've never gone through a lot of the struggles that their grandparents went through, when they see the world through a, a different lens, the lens of the inexperience and the lens through theory and political and social theory, um, you see a lot where it becomes required reading for teachers to do these uh, multicultural essays. And we've talked about multiculturalism where it's this dangerous idea which is basically your culture is bad, the host country culture is bad, you can't impose anything on the people who come over and if you do that makes you racist and bigoted and so these new people have to keep their, their these new immigrants have to keep their culture. The problem is that those new people aren't necessarily interested in also preserving your culture and so they'll start to take over and you've got to do one or two things. It's either going to result in conflict because the host country doesn't want to change their values or the host country will change their values. You see this with Islamic immigration in Europe where there is a crisis. Do we believe in Sharia law or do we believe women can vote? Do we believe that women have the, uh, the ability to drive and to hold political office? Or again, do we believe in Sharia law? Should we stone and hang gay people? Should we allow them the same rights that are afforded to everyone? See, because there is a fundamental difference between Eastern and Western thought, and that's why all of this historical background is necessary in understanding why there are so many issues today, especially when it relates to the academic institutions, because these people teach your children. And if you're taught America is inherently evil and you can't hold up to those Western ideas of equality, of liberty, of justice, well then you're either going to look racist and, and have to that, stand your ground for them, or you're going to adopt new ideals. And what ideals are those? Well, you see again with the forced migration, 
Sharia law, which is widely supported in the Islamic community. It's not a religion of peace in the sense that uh, Muhammad was a murderer, unlike Jesus and many of the other prophets in the Old and New Testaments. So you, you have this importation of different ideals. And as in the past, it's only going to result in either violence or new, potentially dangerous thought. And so here's, here's how we can fix it. If we go back to our own ideals and understanding who John Locke is and why he's our political grandfather, and know that you own your own labor. No one has the right to your labor. Nobody has the right to determine your ideals from above, like many of these academics have the, the idea that they can. Um, and avoid the, 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 the mindset like the rest of the hive and the rest of the herd that you have to accept these people because if you don't, you're intolerant, bigot, racist, sexist, whatever they want to throw at you, ignore that because you have your own thoughts and you have your own ideals. You know what's right and wrong. You have your own morals. And out of that, you, want, you have to understand you can do anything. This is multicultural thought where we all think this, we all think that. If you ditch that and understand that if you have drive, energy, and money, there's you can do anything in the world. And you can only do that in the US from what I've seen because you see, again, in Europe, you see in Canada, you see in all these places that used to hold the ideals of freedom and justice and equality, all this stuff that no longer, because they're so politically correct, so indoctrinated in steeped in, in multicultural thought that they can't defend what they said they were gonna defend anymore because they're too politically correct. So as long as we hold true to our own American values, and it might cause some pain, it might cause some suffering, but if, if we're willing to achieve that, if we're willing to do that, then we can reverse course, we can fix this issue. But until we do, this will remain the crime of the century. <laughs>